Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So were you disappointed last week? Not at all, right? Now, didn't I tell you, didn't I tell you you didn't want to miss that he was going to be uh, fantastic in what he said? You know, it, it's funny because when, when the preacher's out and he asks somebody to fill the pulpit, uh, sometimes, you know, who you choose is kind of, uh, you, you kind of, kind of, you make a decision based on your own, um, what's the word, your own, um, sometimes your own feelings, let's just say it that way. Uh, my wife, when she was teaching, she would always find the nastiest, meanest, ugliest um, substitute teacher for when she was gone. The reason is she wanted to make sure that when she got back, they appreciated her, Right? <laughs> And preachers can kind of do the same thing. It, it's they, they're insecure. That's what I was looking for. Sometimes a preacher can be insecure and, and, you know, be afraid of someone being better. But I always thought that the other way was better. You always wanted people better than you were, or at least as good, because you wanted to make sure that the people of God heard the word of God and were excited about coming back. But, you know... It reveals an issue that all of us face. What I just said, it reveals an issue that all of us face at some point. And it's an issue that is so serious, so, um, so brutal in us and to us, but we don't ever talk about it. And that's the issue of envy or jealousy or covetousness. It's such a big deal that God put it as one of the Ten Commandments. The last commandment in Exodus chapter 20, God said, do not covet your neighbor. And he said, I'll go ahead and just read it to you so I get it exactly. It's verse 17. Do not cover, covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. My question to you today is, in your life, have you overlooked covetousness? Have you overlooked envy? Have you overlooked jealousy? Or have you tried to root it out and deal with it in your own life? The truth is, jealousy is the, the root of a lot of our issues, especially issues that are relational issues. Did you know that jealousy is so... Uh, is so sinister in our life. It is so, uh, so uh, uh, um, awful that in Proverbs 14.30, the scripture tells us that a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. I want you to just kind of let that marinate inside your heart a little bit. Envy rots the bones. For something to rot means that something is good and then it over time begins to become nasty. I want you to think of something rotten. 
Now, the thing that comes to my mind right away is uh, occasionally, more than occasionally, in fact, it just happened a couple weeks ago, we will go fishing. And we'll get home and it's late, and so we'll clean the boat and we, we get everything put up, but somebody forgets the bait in one of the coolers. And three weeks later, we say, something stinks out here. And you go to the boat and you lift the cooler lid and you see that the box of half-used bait is inside there. And it's, I, mean, I want to paint a picture for you here, so bear with me. This box, as you, as you peel back the cover, it's got this bait that is now mushy, putrid and things are alive inside of it and it it literally knocks you back and it's so bad that it that it permeates into the cooler itself i've thrown away a few coolers in my lifetime anybody with me that is what envy does to you and to me it rots the bones the bones of a person or the structure of a person. It's the, it's the hard firmness. It's what keeps your, your whole body together, if you can say it that way. And, and envy rots them. And the problem with it is a little bit of envy let go and that envy will take deep root in a person in such a way that it is extremely painful once you finally recognize it and deal with it. It's painful to get it out. So if God says is the 10th commandment, do not covet. Now there are three words, covet, jealousy, uh, covetousness, jealousy, and envy. All three are separate, but, they're, but they, mean, they mean specifically different things, but they are tied together. They're the, va- the same basic thought. And the thought is, I want what you have, or I don't want you to have what you have because you have it and I don't. This whole thought of jealousy or envy or covetousness is something we don't talk about. I'm the preacher and I can't tell you the last time a sermon on jealousy was preached. And yet as the 10th commandment, perhaps God thinks that it's a big deal. Relationally, it is a big deal. How many relationships do you have that are broken because you are jealous of them or they are jealous of you in some way? Now, we don't ever want to admit that, but the truth is if we, go to the, if we really dig down and peel back the layers, we will find that jealousy is a relationship killer for all of us. Now, what are we jealous of? Well, in Exodus, it was manservants and maidservants. I have yet to be jealous of somebody else's manservant. Just got to be honest with you. But we, we're jealous of other stuff. Let's just kind of go down a short list. Can't we? we could spend all day talking about what we're jealous of, but let's just kind of, kind of check off a few things. We can be jealous because somebody else is better looking. We can say, they're, they're so cute. Oh, they're so pretty. I don't like her. Y'all ever heard a girl say that or a, a guy say that, I guess? I, I, I never heard a guy say that, I, I'll be honest with you, but I'm sure it happens. Usually for guys, it's, there's, we don't ever say this out loud, but it's, they're cooler. They got more muscles than us, right? They look like, look like Popeye. We look like olive oil, right? I mean, that's, okay, did I just expose too much? No, no the truth is, we, we look at other people and we're like, well, how, and we don't like the way they look because they look good. 
I heard somebody on the uh, uh, ski slope one time say, I hate it when girls look pretty in their ski clothes. <laughs> and I thought, that's actually a real thought, isn't it? How many of y'all have ever been skiing? How many of you have ever thought, I hate it that they look pretty in their ski clothes? No? <laughs> it was really kind of a joke, but it, it, it's true. We don't like the way somebody looks. Because we're, and here's what we're doing. We're comparing ourselves to them, and we're saying, they look better than me. And then we start playing that game of, oh, they're just arrogant. Oh, they're just flaunting it. And we go, we go down this rabbit trail based on our own jealousy, and we, we impose what we think onto them, and suddenly they are the spawn of Satan. All because we're jealous of them. We can be jealous of somebody else's stuff. He's got a bigger boat. He's got a nicer car. He's got a bigger house. Their house is in a better neighborhood. Their lawn looks a lot better. He's got a better lawn, lawn mower. He's got a, got a better lawn care maintenance provider, right? All these things. I'm jealous because you've got something bigger, better, more than I've got. You ever heard the term keeping up with the Joneses? You ever see the two neighbors? One gets a motor home, the next one gets a motor home. One gets a boat, the next one gets a boat. One gets a dog, the next one gets a dog, and they keep one up in each other. Looking out the window, what are they driving home now? What's really interesting about this is this, this is not like just some figment of our imagination. Commercials at Christmas time, you will start to see this very thing, won't you? People looking out, ooh, look what you got. Well, look what I got. That rots the bones. What about relationships? They've got such a good relationship with their child. That mom and daughter, they're so tight. And you look at your own, you go, oh, we're not so tight. There's jealousy. That father-son, that father-daughter, that mother-son. And you look at that and you say, well, well, they're so... And it begins to just root inside of us to where we're just angry about it. That, you ever look at a husband and wife like they got the perfect marriage. And you don't like them just because they're so perfect, <clears throat> right? Can I just tell you something right now? If you think anybody has a perfect marriage, take your right hand, hit yourself up over the head hard, and say, hey, dummy, they don't have a perfect marriage. All you married people say, isn't it funny how we think everybody else's life is better than our own? That's called jealousy. That's envy. And it will rot the bones. What about a, somebody who's younger thinking, well, their dad is better, their mom is better, their grandma's better, their whatever's better. How come I didn't get a mom like that? Man, my mom, she does this and their mom does that. That's jealousy. You know the problem with jealousy is it blinds you to the reality of what's going, in your, in, what's going on in, in your life, and it is short-sighted, and it's only a snapshot of what's really going on. Let me show it to you. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. I want to walk you through a story. Genesis 41 and verse 41. I want to look at this guy because... His life, I suppose, if you were looking at in Genesis 41, you would be jealous. I know I would be tempted to be jealous. 
Genesis 41, verse 41, the Bible says, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes and fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as the second in command. And men shouted before him, Make way! When's the last time somebody shouted before you, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Verse 44, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name zephanath paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into service of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced for the seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. And it was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. If you skip on down when, to verse 56, when famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe in all the world. So let's kind of get a, get a real picture of what's going on here in chapter 41, Okay. So Joseph, at 30 years old, was told by Pharaoh, king of Egypt, you are second in command. You are second in command. The only one greater in this whole nation than you is me. But here's the thing. I'm giving you the authority to where nobody lifts a finger, nobody steps a step, nobody breathes without you allowing it. He put a ring on his finger. He put him in his own chariot and they went through the streets and people would say, make way for Prince Ali. Sorry, I was in my head. It was this pomp and circumstance. Now, I want you to put yourself in that time, and I want you to be a contemporary or a friend of Joseph. Like you were buds, right? Joseph comes back and says, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I was just talking with Pharaoh, and he made me second in charge. Like, not only am I just second in charge, but my word is as powerful as his. The only one who can over overrule me is him. But he himself said, you're so smart, whatever you say, I'm going to go with. Not only that, but I have an expense account, and I get to travel throughout all of Egypt on the Pharaoh's dime. And I have a job that's going to allow me to rescue the world. Now, if you were a contemporary, if you were a friend, do you think there might be a little jealousy there? Let's be honest. Maybe if you were 30, there would be. I don't know about you, but when I was 30, I wasn't Pharaoh's second in command. I wasn't. When I was 30, I had a little house, had a few things, had a little bank account. It was kind of rough. 
When I was 30, I had vehicles that were not, you know, the word hoopty comes to mind. I think I might be a little jealous. Would you? What if you were older? What if you had been working for 40 years for Pharaoh and now this 30-year-old punk becomes your boss? Would, would, would you feel a little jealous there? Here's what I want to get at. If you were there and you were feeling jealous of Joseph in that moment, would you also be jealous if you saw the full picture of his life? Because the truth is, jealousy is about, about what we perceive is reality in somebody's life. We look and we, we think, their life is so good. Their life is so marvelous. They are so pretty. They are so confident. They are so blessed. And it's what we perceive is going on in their life, but it fails to realize that where they are now is not necessarily where they really are. But not only that, if they are there, they got there from more than just, I went from here to here. There was a whole lifetime of struggle and suffering and pain to get there. So to be fair, if you really want to trade places with somebody else because you're jealous of them and you want their life for your own, you should at least have the honesty of saying, I want all of it, not just what I see. So let's go back and see the price that he paid to get there. Turn, if you will, a few chapters back to chapter 37. Y'all follow me here? So in 37, Joseph, at the age of 17, says to his brothers, I have had a dream. He said, I had a dream, and in my dream, he said, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Then he said, I had another dream, and at this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And his brothers, the Bible says in verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him. They said to him, do you really think that we're going to bow to you? As the youngest little brother, do you really think that you are going to rule over us? Who do you think you are? Of course, little brothers being little brothers, he's going to have to tell his dream. And when he did, I don't know that he had any bad intentions from it. He was probably just going, hey, check out this cool dream I had. But his brothers heard that and they were jealous. But there was something more to their jealousy, wasn't there? What was more to their jealousy was their father loved him more than he loved the rest of them. He was the favorite child. He was the youngest child. So there was a reason for their jealousy. They didn't keep it in check, and it began to rot their bones. If you go to the next passage of Scripture here, in verse 12 and following, what you'll find is that Joseph was sent by his father, Isaiah, uh, or excuse me, um, Israel. Joseph was sent by his father, Israel, to go and check on his brothers. See, his brothers had gone on a trip to, uh, to take care of the flocks. And when, his bro when Joseph got there... The brothers said, let's kill him. Let's kill him. One of the brothers said, wait, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. Let's put him in a pit. 
So they put him inside of a cistern that didn't have any water in it. And then a, a traveling band came through and, his, and the, brother jo- the brothers sold their, their, their brother Joseph to this traveling band and they left to Egypt with him. Now let's go back to the jealousy thing. Are you jealous of that Joseph too? Are you jealous of the Joseph that had brothers who hated him? Are you jealous of the Joseph who his father had uh, singled him out as, as the favorite and therefore causing division and strife inside the family? Are you jealous of that Joseph too? Or just the Joseph who was in charge of the whole kingdom? Because really, if you want to be fair, you should be jealous of all of them, right? I mean, if you, want to be the in, if you want to be the 30-year-old Joseph, then you should have to be the 17-year-old Joseph too, right? Oh, but wait, there's more. If you continue following through the story... Joseph was sold to, uh, to a, a, a traveling group who eventually went to uh, Egypt. And in verse 39, when they got to Egypt, they sold Joseph to a man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar was an Egyptian and one of, and one of Pharaoh's officials. He was the captain of the guard. He was in charge of a lot of the kingdom. Joseph was sold as a slave, but Potiphar recognized in him some qualities and characteristics that were, that were good. And eventually Potiphar made him the top in his household. In fact, the Bible says in verse 6, So he left, Joseph's, he left in Joseph's care everything he had, and with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now that's who you need to be jealous of, right? How would you like to come home and not have to do anything but eat? Potiphar came home from a day of work. He sat down on the couch. He turned on the TV and said, I need my food. Food was brought to him. That's all he had to worry about. He didn't have to worry about cars breaking down. He didn't have to, to rehoof camels. He didn't have to uh, fix the air conditioning. He didn't have to worry about cutting the yard. He didn't have to worry about the plumbing. You know how the septic tank backs up always at the most inopportune time. Can I get a witness? He didn't have to do any of that because Joseph was in charge of it all. Are you jealous of that, of that Joseph? But Potiphar's wife is what we would call today a cougar. So she was. She was a cougar. She saw Joseph as this young guy. He was probably about 20 years old-ish at the time. Because he was 17 when he first had the dream. So a few years probably have passed by. So a young 20-year-old. And Potiphar's wife was thinking, man... He's cute. And she had it in her heart to sleep with him. And so she approached him and opened the door. And he said, no, I can't do that. I wouldn't do that to my master. But every single day she came and just kept, kept pounding and pounding and pounding, trying to get him to sleep with her. And one particular day she was so aggressive that he ran out of the room, and when he did so, she reached out and grabbed him and pulled his jacket off, his cloak. Of course, she was embarrassed, and she was humiliated that she had been rejected by this young guy, so she figured she'd get back at him. She screamed, help, or however she would scream. 
The other servants came into the room and said, what's going on? He tried to have his way with me. And look, he even left his cloak here. When Potiphar got home, he found out about it. He went and he got him. He got Joseph and he put him in jail. Is that the Joseph that you're jealous of? See, again, remember, when we're jealous of somebody, we're jealous of a snapshot of what we think is going on in their life. But what we don't really think about is all that happened in their life up to that point for them to be where they are. And by the way, we're always jealous of people ahead of us. We're never jealous of people behind us, are we? We never look at the one suffering and going, oh, I wish I had their life. Oh, I wish I had their struggle. No, it's always, oh, I wish I had their stuff. I wish I had their fame. I wish I had their influence. I wish I had their skill. I wish I had, by the way, that's another thing we're jealous of. We're jealous of people's skill. We don't, especially when that skill is the same skill that we think we have or we want. Somebody can sing really good and we can't. So we don't like them because they've got a skill that we think or wish we had. Guys, it's pretty silly to have that. I guess number one, do you know how they gain the skill? Did they work their tail off to get it? Or did it just automatically happen? Well, sometimes it just automatically happened. But if God gave them that, that to them and didn't give that to you, are you angry at God for that? You're fighting the wrong battle. Amen? And so Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of trying to have his way with her. And, and so Potiphar threw him in jail. But while Joseph was in prison, verse 21, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. All right, so there's two streams of the story here, okay? On the one hand, Joseph is having trouble upon trouble upon trouble, and nothing in his life seems to be going right. But here's the point. All of that suffering and all of that trouble, throughout it all, God is with him because God has a purpose for him. And God is going to do something through him that can only be done by going through all of this trouble to lead it to the next part or to the final part where Joseph is able to fulfill the purpose for which God has called him. And that is the point. When you and I are jealous or envious of somebody else's life, we are, we are uh, despising the life that God has set for us to have and we're wanting to live their life instead of ours, and that never works. And we'll get that to that at the end, but let me finish the story here. So Joseph is in prison. While he is in prison, a cupbearer and a baker of the king of Egypt were sent to prison. So the cupbearer and the baker offended the king. They were sent to prison. The cupbearer had a dream, and the baker had a dream. The cupbearer said, I think I'll try to get answers to my dream. And he shared the dream with Joseph. And Joseph said, well, I have an answer. The answer is, you're going to be restored after three days back as the cupbearer of the king. And he goes back and tells the baker, says, hey, this guy interpreted my dream. And sure enough, the dream came true. And the baker's feeling pretty good. He's going, man, that's, that's, that's good news. I think I'm going to tell him my dream. I had a dream too. So he goes to Joseph. This is kind of a, a sick humor right here in this story. 
The sick humor is this. The, the cupbearer or the baker thinks that that was good news. I tell him my story and I'll have good news too. He goes and he says to Joseph, this is my dream. And Joseph goes, oh, here's your interpretation. He, the king's going to cut your head off and impale you with a pole. Now, could you imagine the moment when the baker's going, um, can I have his dream? I don't like your interpretation. And sure enough, it comes true. Pharaoh cuts his head off and impales him with the pole. But there's one thing that Joseph says. He says, Mr. Cupbearer, Mr. King, Mr. Uh, Baker, when you go back into the king's service, I want you to tell the king, tell the Pharaoh that I'm in prison and remind him that I'm the one that interpreted the dream. But guess what? The Bible says that the cupbearer was back into service. And when he was back into service, uh, the chief cupbearer, however, verse 23, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Is that the Joseph that you're jealous of? Are you Joseph of the jealous of the Joseph? Are you jealous of the Joseph who at 17 simply had a dream and shared it? And his brothers were so jealous that they eventually sold him into slavery and then as he was sold into slavery to a rich man, the rich man's wife came on to him and accused him falsely of trying to have his way with her, then put into jail. And then after being put into jail, did something marvelous and yet was forgotten. Is that the Joseph you're jealous of? Do y'all see the point here? We're jealous of this that we have in our mind, but we're forgetting all of the history in the past of that person. Two years later. Two years later, Pharaoh himself has a dream. And in the dream, he sees some strange things with skinny cows and fat cows. It's kind of funny. And the skinny cows eat the fat cows. And he wakes up and he says, wow, that was a weird dream. But it must mean something. And as he's telling all of his magicians and all of his advisors, nobody has an answer. And then the cupbearer, now remember the cupbearer is the guy who, who makes sure that the king doesn't get poisoned. He drinks the drink before he gives it to, the, to the, uh, uh, the pharaoh. So he'll pour the drink and he'll go, okay, I'm not dead, now you can drink. That's basically what happens for him, right? But as the cupbearer, he's close, he has his ear, he's right next to him. And he's listening to this and he goes, I remember there's a guy in prison that two years ago interpreted my dream. So Pharaoh calls Joseph out and says, this is the dream. And Joseph says, well, this is what it means. And this is what God is doing. And that's what leads him to the point where Joseph becomes chief just under the Pharaoh. Now, here's the point. Of all of those things in Joseph's life, there was great suffering there was great celebration. There was great difficulty. There was great joy. There was great lack. And there was great uh, uh, provision. All of that. And you and I look at people and we say, I wish I had their life. But we forget that their life is not everything that we think it actually is. Does that make sense? But here's what 
Joseph understood. In verse, in chapter 45, and you know this story, you've heard it before, no doubt. In chapter 45, it gets to the point where there was a famine. For after two years of famine, Joseph's brothers come back to Joseph and, and they're going to ask for more, or they're going to ask to buy more grain. Joseph recognizes his brothers. His brothers don't recognize him, but this is a big reveal. Joseph says to his brothers, guess what? Remember when you sold me and you thought I was killed? Well, I haven't died. I'm second in command of all of Egypt. His brothers cowered in fear. They were so afraid that he was about to take vengeance upon them, but he didn't. And here's why. In chapter 45, verse 8, here's what it says. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God who made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. What he understood was that the path of his life was handcrafted by God himself because God has a purpose and a plan for each of us. Listen to me. You shouldn't be jealous of somebody else's life because that means that you're missing the life that God has prepared for you. And the life God has prepared for you is the best life you'll ever have. But if you think that the best life you'll ever have is devoid of suffering and trials and difficulty and, and brokenness and, and abandonment and all those kinds of things, then you just need to look at the life of Jesus because his life was full of all those things. Amen? Why would your life be lived on top of a mountain when the Son of God's life was lived throughout the valley with some mountains there? Why are you more special than God? Why would you get a life different than the life of Jesus? No. The life that you have has been given to you by God and it's been given to you because He knows you and He understands you and, he, and, he, and, he, and, and He's building you and refining you and placing you in different situations and places because He has a purpose and a plan that will be fulfilled as you are faithful to Him. Let me show it to you. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It was funny, in, in First Baptist, I could not remember that this was Hebrews. I was thinking First Corinthians, and I was thinking Romans, and I'm going, man, I know this is here. I have one of those brain, momentary brain uh, lapses. Hebrews chapter 12, and then I'm going to wrap this up, okay? Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay, part of that sin that so easily entangles is unbelief. Well, that sin that easily entangles is unbelief, but unbelief can show itself through envy. It can show itself through envy. So let us throw off the things that entangle. Let us throw off the... the, the um, the sin, the, everything that hinders, and ver the next part of the verse, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for someone else. Wait a minute. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out that's the same race for everyone. No. Let us run with perseverance, not giving up, 
the race marked out for us. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Do you see some suffering here? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen and amen and amen. The reason you should not and cannot and must not envy somebody else's life is because that's not the life God gave you. And God gave you your life because he knows you. Now let's be fair here. Sometimes your life is a mess because you screwed it up, not God. Amen? Amen? Sometimes you are in a mess because you were disobedient to God. And I say you, me. Sometimes we are in the place we're in because we didn't do what God said to do. We're jealous that God is blessing someone else. Well, is their life full of obedience and is our full of disobedience? You want that kind of life? Well, start being obedient to what God says, right? I'm really just mad at myself is what I'm doing. But at the end of the day, God has a purpose. He has a, he has a path set for you. He has a plan for you. He has a, a, a mission, if you want to say it that way. He has something that he has put you on this earth to do. And your life is not the same as somebody else's life. So stop looking at somebody else and wishing you had their life and start fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And say to God, God, whether uh, struggle, whether suffering, whether joy, whether blessing, whatever it is, I choose to follow you. Wherever you lead, I'll go. I'm convinced that some people are wildly rich because God knew that their heart would not be turned away from Him if He blessed them. And I am convinced that some people are poor because God knows that the thing that tempts them the most is having stuff and He wants a relationship with them more than He wants them to have stuff. I don't know if I can prove that biblically, but I, I really think, because that's what I would do as a father. If my son wanted a car that would go faster than his brain could handle, you think I would get him a car that would go that fast? Heck no! Not because I don't want him to have a car, it's because I don't want him dead. Right? And it goes with all kinds of things. As a father or as a mother, have you denied your kids something that you knew would hurt them or you knew it would turn their heart? In our family, our kids did not get gadgets until, I don't know if it was 13 or 15 or something. And the only reason was we knew as a family that the moment they got a digital gadget, it was going to capture their attention and move them outside of the family in their own little cocoon through headphones. And it wasn't because we didn't want them to have it. It was because we valued relationship more than we valued their happiness. Because we knew that real happiness comes through relationship, not through the thing that every other kid has. And as God, he does the same thing to us. 
So when you look at somebody else's life and says, how come they have that? Maybe their heart can handle it and yours can't. Or maybe, just maybe, God gives you something because he counts you worthy of suffering in a certain kind of way because his purpose for you is to minister to those suffering through the suffering that you're experiencing and you now have a different outlook and a different ability to, to speak because you've walked in those shoes and you've been there and you've done that. I have a really good friend who is, who is, who is just, just his, he is in the pit of depression in such a way that it's just totally different person. And my heart breaks for him in that he's not the same person that I know. But in the conversation, here's what he says. He says, the only thing I have is to hold on to the promises of God even when I cannot see them. And I said to my friend not too long ago, I said, listen, I believe with all of my heart that as God moves you through this, he is allowing you to experience the deepest of suffering through this depression because there are thousands upon hundreds of thousands upon millions of people who people who haven't gone through it don't get it and can't get it. But you understand. And he's going to send you to these people, and you're going to give life and hope to them through Jesus Christ, and they're going to say, you get it, because you've walked in that valley. And he would never ask for this, but he's thanking God for it, because he knows that it's refining and proving his faith in a way that could never happen in any way else. So what in your life do you despise? What in your life are you saying, God, why? It's not fair, whatever it might be. Listen, God is so, his ways are not our ways, but what we do know is he's a good and faithful God. We do know that the character of God never changes and it, and it never shrinks back. And so if the Bible says that he's good, we can believe that he's good even when our situation doesn't seem good. And we can hold on to him even if it's barely at the hem of his garment, knowing that we're really not the one holding on to him. It's he who is holding on to us. As I look around, I know the, 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 the pain that so many of you have felt, different parts of your life, through death or, or relationships or, or uh, just, just sickness, things like that. And here's, here's what I want to say to you. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's what I want to say to you. Stop looking at everybody else. Stop wishing you had their life. And change your heart attitude towards your own. And Philippians tells us how to do it. Philippians chapter 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again... I say rejoice. It says, I've learned the secret of being content in every and all situations. Whether I'm well fed or whether I'm hungry. Whether I'm naked or whether I'm clothed. Whether I have a nice house or whether I have a, a box. That's my own translation. The secret of being content in all these situations is knowing that I have strength through Jesus Christ in all things. I said that differently than what you normally hear it as because 
We take that out of context so many times. I can do all things because it is Christ who gives me strength. So church, that's how we battle envy. We start looking at Jesus and we fix our eyes. There's, it's more than just looking at Jesus. It's fixing our eyes. You know, there's this thing called target fixation. If you ride a motorcycle, you learn about this. Target fixation means that whatever you look at, you go towards. Because your brain is working behind the scenes with your eyeballs and the information that's giving, given. And your brain says, body, go that direction. Even though your mind is saying, don't go that direction, your body is doing automatically what your eyes are seeing. It's called target fixation. And what they tell you if you're, if you're learning how to ride a motorcycle is, don't ever look right in front of you. Look ahead of you, right? You look ahead of you because where you're looking is where you're going. It's the same thing with skiing down a hill, by the way. If you're looking at that tree, you're going to hit the tree. I promise you. Ask me how I know. You're going to hit the tree. If you don't want to hit the tree, don't look at the tree. Look at the opening. Look at where you want to go. And your brain and your body will go that way. Let us fix our eyes. Lock them onto Jesus. Because he is the author and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Father, I ask you today to help us to deal with this issue of envy inside of our heart. Lord, it is true that it, it's, a, it's a struggle sometimes. It comes to us because sometimes we see the perfect in someone else and we fail to realize all that it took to get there and that they're not perfect after all. Father, may we not despise the work that you're doing in our life. May we remember that a lifetime of faith builds a disciple. That our faith is built. That our obedience is tried and tested and it's little by little and it's day by day. May we not have the idea that we're going to be somewhere today. That, that we haven't spent the time going through the journey to get there. So Lord, I ask that you give us patience. And I ask that you give us perspective. And I ask that you would slow us down. Help us to be grateful even for the sorrows of our life. That way we can also be grateful in the joys. And help us to trust in your character. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what today... Do you need to do? Are you aware of jealousy or envy in your life? Today, confess that to God. Just go ahead and get it out. God, I confess I've been jealous of this. And then celebrate in that other person what you're jealous of. It works. And do it out loud. Maybe not right now, but do it out loud. 
God, thank you that you've gifted them with such a great family. Thank you that you've gifted them with such a great house. Thank you that you gifted them with such a great skill or whatever it is. And when you do that out loud and you hear it, somehow or another it changes you. It's hard to be jealous and thankful at the same time. It's one or the other. You and I have to choose to do it. And the more we choose to do it, the more natural it becomes. And then ask God, God, help me to be satisfied with you. Help me to fix my eyes on you. This morning, I, I, I don't know if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, but I want to invite you to if you haven't. If you're watching by Facebook and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if you will believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. This morning, as Kevin plays and as we sing this song, I just want to invite you to respond. Right where you are, you can come to the front, you can talk with somebody, just respond. Let's stand together.